Welcome to Qualia, a thought experiment in sound. I'm Bishop Sand. Everybody, at some point, feels a flash of hatred. Hate has re-entered the public conversation in America. We've had a tragedy here today. Said that they are calling this a hate crime. The scene is very bad inside. There are multiple fatalities. And of course, it's not just the United States. Other countries are seeing hate spike as well. And some people are ensnared in a deep, multi-generational, contemptuous conflict. People like Irish Protestants and Catholics. Israelis and Palestinians. While others seem to choose to be hateful, like this white nationalist. I will only know that the white race is back, that we are once again a powerful people when we unify and take back all of Eurasia. The Turks are disgusting. Islam is a appalling religion. We should rip it away from them, take it back. In this bonus episode, we will explore a few pervasive and completely natural ways of processing the world that can lead to hate. Then we'll show you something that has been proven to decrease it. If you haven't listened to our immersive episode called Empathy, please do so. Before we get into this, take a second to think about what you would do to get someone, like that white nationalist, to loosen his grip on his hate. What would you say? Emile Bruneau studies this. I'm director of the Peace and Conflict Neuroscience Lab at the University of Pennsylvania. And he's learned something very interesting. Our intuitive approach to changing people's hearts towards another group is to directly appeal to the heart. To show them a story that we think will bring out their empathy towards the other group. But every time I've tried this, it just has not worked. And I think part of the reason is that if you have these Cognitive biases. Cognitive biases are completely natural. They're inborn ways of thinking and processing information. We all do them, but they happen to be wrong. These cognitive biases that are sometimes lying below the surface. Below the surface. Below the surface. Below the surface. They prevent you from feeling the empathy. So if you don't resolve those biases, then the person doesn't let empathy in. Take a minute to think of the last time something went wrong for you. For example, you were late. Or you didn't do something that you were supposed to do. You obviously try to avoid this sort of thing, but it happens. And when this happened, what did you tell yourself 
you likely went through a very common thought process. Namely, you come up with reasons that are usually based on circumstances, things that are outside of your control. The car wouldn't start. It's raining today. The meeting ran over. The dog wouldn't stop barking. There was construction. You were just having a bad day. It's not your fault. You think it's really the circumstances at fault. Because, of course, you are not bad or irresponsible or whatever negative attribute. But what happens when somebody else makes that same mistake? What if they were late or they didn't do something on time? It feels different. You might think they always do that. He's irresponsible. What a jerk. He's lazy. She's just not that bright. This kind of bias happens all the time. It's called the fundamental attribution error. It means that we tend to think that when we do something bad, it's because of the circumstances. But when other people do bad things, when you attribute it to their personality, it's because they are bad people. Importantly, this fundamental attribution error blocks your empathy. That's one bias. The other type of bias is called the confirmation bias. It's something you do all the time and it's perfectly normal, just like the other. You just seek out information that you know will support your beliefs. And when you find that information, you accept it uncritically. And when faced with information that contradicts your ideas, you scrutinize it. Think of a Facebook post that you see and like instinctively. Well, an opposing post gets you stirred up and you start doing research to disprove it and comment on it. Since you are human, you naturally have these biases. I do. You do. We all do. Yeah, these are the types of unconscious, uh, automatic processing biases that motivate us to act. So just to unpack this a little, this means that you are going about your life naturally thinking that others were making mistakes because of who they were, their personality, while excusing your own mistakes as circumstantial. And you uncritically accepted information in line with your own beliefs while pouncing on opposing views. And you weren't really aware that you were doing it. And since we discount the effect of these biases, since we think that we're rational humans... Now this is important. We think that we're logical and consistent. Yeah, we think the brain is a rational, high-fidelity computer. We discount the effect that these have on guiding our behavior. Let me put this another way. We feel that other people have a bunch of negative, deeply personal attributes, and we let in a trove of information supporting this without scrutiny. And we are highly critical of evidence saying otherwise. No matter which side you're on, 
it's obvious this builds up hatred for the other. Yeah. This hatred, this deeply embedded historical and personal hatred of the other side feels permanent, but it is based ultimately on our unconscious biases. If you can pull that into the light of day and allow them to see it, then they can choose to reject it. Then maybe you can open your heart to the other side. Professor Bruno knows this works because he's done it. He's designed an intervention to decrease hatred towards an outgroup. And for the first time in audio, you will be exposed to his intervention. Professor Bruneau used this specific claim when he started to break apart hate towards an outgroup. Here's the claim. Muslims in general are responsible for violence across the world. For those of you who have even the slightest belief that this is true, this intervention is for you. In the intervention, you'll hear three situations, and you'll be asked to judge a few things on a scale from 1 to 100. Let's begin the intervention. Situation 1. Dylan Roof killed nine black parishioners in Charleston, South Carolina, during a prayer meeting. He walked into a church with an assault rifle, opened fire, and killed nine churchgoers. He wrote of his actions, quote, I did what I thought would make the biggest wave, end quote. Roof said that Hitler would someday be inducted as a saint and advised that unless white people take violent action, we have no future. How responsible are you for what Dylan Roof did on a scale of one to 100, 100 being completely responsible? How responsible are you? How responsible are white Americans for what Dylan Roof did? On a scale of 1 to 100. How responsible are white Americans? Situation 2. Anders Breivik detonated a truck bomb and gunned down a total of 77 people in Norway. He claimed he was acting in defense of European civilization against Islamic imperialism. How responsible are you for what Anders Breivik did? On a scale of 1 to 100. 100 being completely responsible. How responsible are you? How responsible are white Americans for what Anders Breivik did? On a scale of 1 to 100. How responsible are white Americans? Situation 3. Muniba is a Muslim man in southern France. He's 37 years old. He owns a bakery. He has a wife, two kids, and loves traveling. How responsible is Muniba for the 2015 Paris attacks by Muslim extremists? On a scale of 1 to 100, 100 being completely responsible. 
How responsible is Muniba? How responsible are Muslims in general for the Paris attack in 2015? On a scale of 1 to 100, how responsible are Muslims? Now let's go back to the initial claim. Muslims, in general, are responsible for violence across the world. Do you feel less committed to it? This has a dramatic effect on people's collective blame of Muslims. So in the control condition, if it's a 100-point scale, they report about 35 to 40 on the scale for responsibility of Muslims. And if they go through the activity, they report about 10 or 12. And that actually has downstream consequences. So they also are less willing to sign anti-Muslim petitions and less willing to endorse anti-Muslim policies. This, this has been effective in the U.S. It's been effective. I've, I've done it in Spain across different age groups and uh, both genders. And it also lasts over time. So if I just have them do that, you know, 30 second activity at one time, a month later, I can assess their collective blame, but also, again, their behavior, their willingness to sign these petitions. And even a month later, they're still less willing to sign these petitions in the control group who didn't get the intervention. So what do you think of this intervention? Is it a cure for hate? It licenses you to be heavily metacognitive, to look inside your own mind. It's just that it's a part of the mind that we're not used to glancing inside of. But it doesn't mean that it's inaccessible. It just means that we're not used to doing it. You don't realize that you're labeling a whole group of people as bad. And you don't realize how uncritical you are of your own beliefs. I go out with the crowd I play the game That's it for Qualia. Emile Bruneau is currently professor at the University of Pennsylvania. Special thanks to him. You can hear more from Emile in our immersive episode called Empathy, where you, the listener, get to feel what it's like to be a homeless man and join dinner party guests to feel the pushes and pulls of empathy while learning about your own thought processes. And now you can give us a tip. Just like you'd leave a tip to a waiter who provides good service, you can leave us a tip for a good show. And it's so easy to do while you're listening to the show on the Radio Public app. And we estimate a tip for good service, like a uh, 20% tip, to be something about uh, $2. Jordan Wurfsbach is our editor and co-creator. Our team also includes Dan Boyce and Josh Bertucci. Yes, sir. There was a salt in my budget.